Welcome to What's Working in Washington. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Today, author Kathleen Day gives us the cold, hard truth about our economy. That's just malarkey. You know what they? You know what it says about mortgage lending? It says, guess what, mortgage lenders? From now on, when you lend someone money, you have to assess whether they can afford to repay it. Now, that may sound ridiculous, and I'm sure listeners will say, well, that's ridiculous. Of course, they wouldn't lend money to people who couldn't afford to repay it. It's exactly what they did because they had a short-term view of things. With the stock market gyrating more wildly than a teenager's moods, I, I often find myself these days thinking more often about the stability of our financial system, and I don't think I'm alone in that regard. Uh, with that in mind, I recently ran across a new book written by a, a local expert and part of our community, and she provided some very interesting insights into the real challenge and tension that exists in regulating the financial markets in the United States. Broken Bargain is the book I'm talking about, written by our guest, Kathleen Day. It's really got some things that, as a former member of the financial service industry, they really rang out to me as important to talk about. And we're going to do that today. We're going to talk about how the financial service industry has gotten where it's gotten to, how our society deals with the inherent conflict of a financial system that rewards profit within the context of providing financial security for our citizens. Kathleen, first of all, thanks for coming and spending some time with us today. Thank you for having me, and I so appreciate your your uh, endorsement that, that you found it uh, a rewarding read. Well, I think that in our community, it's really important that we have context. It really lacks in many circumstances. You know, things can come out of the left field. And one of the things I like most about Broken Bargain is that the financial crisis of 2008, the stock market crash of 29 the quite possible financial crisis that will occur at some point in the future, there's a recurring pattern. And and I think that's a place to begin. You called the book Broken Bargain. What's the bargain that you're talking about? What, what's been broken about it? One of the things that I discovered in writing this book is I learned really how the corporate form developed. And an incorporation is something that the government has to give to a, an organization. And a lot of people, going back to Jefferson and Hamilton, their argument, a lot of people think of it as an argument over a bank, but more fundamentally, it was over, does the federal government have the right to grant incorporations? And Jefferson didn't want that because he thought they just fought a revolution. He thought Bank of England, kings and queens, we don't want that. And Hamilton said, yeah, I get the dangers. But we are not just going to be an agrarian society, and we really need a, a, a stable national uh, currency, and we'll need a national bank, and a national bank is, by definition, incorporated by the federal government. So what I discovered in writing this book is that the history of the development of the shape of the corp corporate form is, in, in, uh, is tied in, inextricably with banking. Bankers and created, American bankers created the corporate form that America then exported everywhere. The beginning of the country, corporations, people understood their potential dangers and benefits, but they limited them to 20-year lifespans and they would have to renew their incorporation. They had to be for a specific purpose like creating a canal or a water system, and they, they, but they wanted to limit their power. But most importantly, the bargain is that if you have an incorporation, which is a privilege, a status that a government bequeaths to you on behalf of the citizenry and taxpayers, which is why my real, um, if it has a right to come in and make sure that you're not doing something that is bad for the citizenry. So that's number one. Then number two, once you incorporate a bank, 
It's a double whammy, where it's a double reason that the government is giving this status uh, to these institutions. And we've gotten to the point where we have forgotten that this link, this bargain, and it was very much strengthened in the 1930s with the creation of deposit insurance. Because once you explicitly put taxpayers' uh, liability on the line, FDR did not want to have the creation of deposit insurance because he thought it would cause moral hazard, making people act, bankers act irresponsibly. And he only agreed to it in exchange for much tighter oversight. Bankers seem to forget this. And so does corporate America. They're like, okay, incorporate us, then go away, government. Don't bother us with all your regulations. And over and over again, regulators buy into that. They go, yeah, yeah, we're going to hamstring them. No, no, no. And so they forget their job. So the fact that Someone in the Trump administration is calling the banks that he's supposed to oversee on my behalf and your behalf and all taxpayers. He's supposed to be policing them. For him to call them his customers just says it all about how regulators get it all wrong. You talk about incorporation. You talk about banking. The reason why, from my experience, corporation matters and why I always personally have all my businesses incorporated is it allows me to avoid personal liability if the business fails. Exactly. And it allows me to go through a bankruptcy and start a new business the next day. Those are very important parts of what makes our market work, but also a really strong way to uh, avoid personal risk when I, I take business risk. And as I hear it, and as I thought about it in your book, it's a very toxic mix when you take that limitation of liability and you add on top of that the ability to create credit out of midair. It, right? Exactly. And then you take any policing out of the equation. You looked at the financial crisis of 2008 and you're looking at other financial crises. What are some of the hallmarks of a financial system that's out of control or out of kilter? One of the hallmarks is the Kool-Aid, which is a reference to Jim Jones. But on Wall Street, it's a name for ridiculous premises that people, some know is, is ridiculous, but use it anyway. But a lot of people buy into that in hindsight is ridiculous. So for example, in the most recent crisis, the Kool-Aid was home prices never go down. And even uh, people like Alan Greenspan, head of the Federal Reserve, and Bernanke, who was at the Federal Reserve but not chairman, they were all saying that. And um, there's an economist at Yale, uh, Schiller, who won a Nobel Prize for his work in behavioral economics. He has said, go back and you can see that's just demonstrably untrue. It was ridiculous for people to think home prices would never go down or would always go up. That's just ridiculous. And the savings and loan crisis, the Kool-Aid was, oh, we can grow out of our problems. Um, when really they should have been put out of their misery, those banks, we had too many banks, uh, savings and loans are specialty banks that specialize in mortgages. We didn't need all that. They should have been put out of their misery, not allowed to stay in existence um, and grow into an even bigger problem. So, for example, you talk about that the conventionalism, the Kool-Aid, I, I could say that the internet bubble was built upon the, the Kool-Aid that the world is going to change dramatically and sock puppets are going to be worth a billion dollars. Yes, and also, right? if you remember at that time, going in, it, it was the internet bubble, uh, people were talking about the new economy. It sounded mm -hmm. exactly like the the words people used in the 1920s, where the Kool-Aid was the stock market will never go down. Right. And uh, the third world debt crisis, the Kool-Aid was that some <laughs> lenders will never default. Oh, so that was absolutely. In yeah, the 1980s, that, long term management. Yes, exactly. It's, it's really exactly. fascinating to me that we're in a free market economy. We see ourselves as free marketeers. But if we don't actually uh, regulate the financial markets, well, so in your book, you you mentioned the former president of uh, Citibank looking at the regulators and basically saying, you have to stop us from writing all these bad mortgages. Stop us from hurting ourselves. 
but yet they don't want to be, but by the same <laughs> token the financial service industry clearly doesn't want to be regulated i mean what's happened with except Dodd -Frank? For, except when they have done things so stupidly that they're about to go under. Then they say, mm, excuse me, please come in. Like 2007 with Bear Stearns and then 2008 with Lehman and, and exactly. AIG. Exactly. Do you feel having written this book and gone through this experience, you're a little bit like um, uh, somebody in a movie theater saying fire and there's actually a fire? Yes. I, and I, I will, will say some people, I, I know one review said this is a, a accurate but dispiriting, like it's sort of depressing. I don't mean it to be a depressing book, but I do mean it for voters, uh, hopefully, will understand better how these things come to be. Because the only thing that can really counter lobbying money, and the financial services industry is the most well, they are the most well-heeled lobbyists, bar none. Mm -hmm. The only thing that can counter that money that elected officials are getting from them are voters who say, we've had enough. Now, people at the end of the uh, most recent financial crisis it created both the Occupy Wall Street and the Tea Party movement. So people were very angry about it, but they didn't really understand it. Um, the journalist who uh, is given credit, I don't know if dubious credit, for creating the Tea Party, uh, he ran across, it was CNBC reporter who said, do you want to pay for your neighbors? Uh, you yeah, know, he was on air. And, yeah, and so he, it, it, the fact is he had no idea what he was talking about. Mm -hmm. And that was a really silly thing to say. Because, yes, it was repugnant, we had to bail them out. But w the problem was we'd let them get into such a, um, um, a crazy situation that we had to or it would hurt everyone. It's more akin to the person who smokes in bed, they burn their house down. Do you say, well, we're going to let the fire engulf the neighborhood because they were so irresponsible? Yes, they were so irresponsible, but you should have stopped them from smoking in bed. Once you have the neighborhood burning down, yes, you have to have the bailout. Yeah, I mean, that's you have what, to have the rest. I mean, that's what in 2008, uh, as I see it with my own hat on, uh, the market literally had seized up. There was a international bank run. Uh, it was a disaster. It was a national security crisis. It really over was. and over again, this is a national security crisis. At one point, there is a scene that it, I, I, I paint in the book. It, to me, is one of the most poignant where. <clears throat> Treasury Secretary Paulson is in China for the Olympics, and Chinese official says to him, you know, the Russians called us and said, why don't we sell all our uh, mortgage, uh, Fannie and Freddie uh, mortgage, why don't we sell all that? Let's do a coordinated effort. And he said, the fact is, being so indebted as we are as a country, it really allowed, it opens us up to being manipulated by foreign interests who are not aligned with ours. Just like our dependence on oil allows us to be manipulated by the Middle East, players in the Middle East, whereas if we were more energy independent, it would be better from a national security point of view. This is just common sense. So last thing before I let you go, having been through this experience, looked at all these crises, what are your policy prescriptions? What would you like our listeners to be thinking about uh, talking with their representatives about? What is the right way to regulate the financial service industry in a in economy like ours. Enforce the rules. D do common sense underwriting. You know, people say Dodd-Frank is so, that that's the legislation that was put in place after the crisis, so cumbersome. You know, that's just malarkey. You know what they, you know what it says about mortgage lending? It says, guess what, mortgage lenders? From now on, when you lend someone money, you have to assess whether they can afford to repay it. Now, that may sound ridiculous, and I'm sure listeners will say, well, that's ridiculous. Of course, they wouldn't lend money to people who couldn't afford to repay it. It's exactly what they did because they had a short-term view of things. And there's a saying on Wall Street, and I hope I get this right. I, it's in the initials for I'll be gone, you'll be gone. Mm -hmm. So it's a short-term outlook where if we can just meet our quarterly goals of making this many mortgages, we don't care if the people are going to default later because we'll be gone. Let's make all these mortgages, meet our targets, we'll get our big bonuses. 
And then if these people default, we don't care. So they really had this short-term mentality, and it caused what's known in finance as moral hazard, which my definition of you privatize the gain and socialize the risk, meaning if they do great, they get to keep the profits. If they don't do well, hey, Kathleen Day, the taxpayer, has to come in. I'm really sick of having my wallet picked, aren't you? I absolutely am. <laughs> but I'm not sick about talking this topic, but unfortunately, I'm going to have to stop. Kathleen Day, the author of Broken Bargain, uh, I highly recommend you all check this book out if you want to know more about how our financial service industry actually works. Kathleen, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks to our sponsor, Tandem Product Academy. If you're looking to grow a software technology business and you're past your first five employees or your first half a million dollars in revenue, their free educational program will teach you how to grow your business. Supported by a broad group of our region's leading business organizations and local governments, Tandem Product Academy is free to participants. Learn more at tandeminnovate.com. Our executive producer is Tracy Madigan, online writer Barbara Ulrich, Music provided by two D.C. region bands, two-car living room, and the Sunbathers. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Thanks for listening. See you next time.